Hello, everyone. Welcome to CSID's Firewall Chats podcast. I'm your host, Cody Gredler with CSID, and joining me is my co-host and colleague, Morgan Gravy. Hi, everyone. This podcast is brought to you by CSID. If you or someone you know has identity theft protection or has been a victim of a breach and received similar services, there's a good chance we helped power that product. CSID is a leading provider of global identity protection and fraud detection technologies for businesses, their employees, and consumers. For those of you that have listened in before, welcome back. And for those of you who are new to the podcast, thanks for joining us. We are hosting these podcasts as an effort to teach consumers and businesses more about the cybersecurity issues that are putting our identities at risk. In our last episode, we had a great discussion about creating a culture of cybersecurity at work. If you'd like to listen to that episode or any past episode, you can download them on iTunes or visit our SoundCloud page at csid.com slash firewallchats. And you can always get in touch with us on Facebook or Twitter at firewallchats. In this episode, we're exploring medical identity theft, a trend it seems like continues to have a serious impact on victims. We're joined today by Eva Velasquez, president and CEO of the Identity Theft Resource Center. Eva, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you guys for covering this important topic. It sounds like you're involved in some pretty interesting initiatives for the Identity Theft Resource Center. Can you tell us a little more about your work there and ITRC's mission? Absolutely. The ITRC was established as a nonprofit organization 15 years ago, and our primary goal is to support victims of identity theft in resolving their cases. But we're also involved in the education and awareness efforts because we want to broaden public understanding of identity theft, data breaches, cybersecurity, scams and fraud, and even privacy issues. We meet our mission by having a call center with advisors available to answer questions and all of the information on our website, including fact sheets, letter templates, scam alerts, all free to the public because as a 501c3 nonprofit, we're dependent on donations and corporate sponsorships and grants. So everything is free to consumers and victims. That's great. Eva, we really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today about medical identity theft. To start us off, can you give us a quick overview of what exactly medical identity theft is? Medical identity theft is simply a type of identity theft where your personal information is used to obtain medical goods or services. And sometimes people think, well, that only means maybe hospital visits or doctor's visits, but it's broader than that. There can be a range. While it includes those things, it can also be uh, prescription drugs and durable medical equipment. We hear from victims frequently who have had issues with getting their necessary prescription drugs because a thief has taken out prescriptions in their name and there's some kind of contraindication so they can't access those medicines that they need to manage their health. So what does it really look like for consumers as far as the consequences beyond sort of what you just mentioned? There can be some very devastating consequences when this occurs. Of course, there are the financial implications. It can certainly hit a victim's pocketbook, but they can be more subtle than that, and they can be longer lasting. Again, the prescriptions can be an issue, but if you have a thief that has used your identity to obtain those goods or services and you have mixed medical records, that could potentially lead you to have a misdiagnosis or inappropriate treatment for either conditions that you don't have or you can have a condition that a doctor believes has been addressed because it's been addressed for the thief. So that's really the pernicious part of medical identity theft is that it can affect not only your finances, but it can truly affect your health. 
It seems like we're seeing medical identity theft continue to grow. In 2014, the U.S. saw the largest recorded breach to date with community health systems. For those that don't know, that resulted in the theft of SSNs, names, addresses, and phone numbers for 4.5 million patients. And last year, the Anthem breach made headlines when hackers gained access to the information it held on as many as 80 million members. Eva, what would you say is driving this uptick? You know, it's interesting when we talk about medical identity theft and medical data breaches in that industry because they really are two different things. And it's important to realize that the information that is obtained through a medical breach is the same information that can be used across all of the silos. And the thieves really don't care. They don't think to themselves, oh, well, this information was obtained through the Anthem breach, so I'm only going to commit medical identity theft with it. They look at that wealth of information and say, how can I monetize this? And the ITRC's hypothesis is that the huge spike in tax identity theft is directly related to these medical breaches because all of the information in those medical breaches is exactly what is needed to commit tax identity theft. On a related note, a report from the Medical Identity Theft Alliance estimates that the number of patients affected by medical identity theft increased nearly 22% from 2014 to 2015. But we also understand that medical ID theft seems to affect a smaller population of individuals. Would you say that this has been the case with what you've seen at ITRC? It's interesting because we are very strong supporters of MIFA, the Medical Identity Theft Alliance, and the research that they produce is very good. They have a different experience. They've seen a sharper increase than we have. Our statistics show that it has stayed relatively flat as far as the overall percentage of cases, and it is a smaller percentage of our overall cases. However, I think it's really important to realize that because the scope of this problem is so huge, you know, 17.6 million victims estimated by the Bureau of Justice Statistics last year, even small percentages have a huge impact, a huge actual number of victims. So we're looking at over half a million individuals affected every year, and that's annually. This is not over the span of time since we've been measuring this issue. That's every single year. Do you feel the federal mandate that went into effect in January of 2014 requiring healthcare providers to make the switch to electronic health records has aided the growth of medical identity theft? And with healthcare facilities scrambling to make the deadline, did you find security measures and policies taking a back seat in this effort? We feel that that is a significant factor, but it is not the only factor. There are other factors that are involved, but whenever you push entities into a certain action and put a deadline on it that they feel really compelled to meet because there were some consequences if they didn't meet that deadline, it's very possible that they did not have the process in place to really think about security and privacy first and really go through sort of a a privacy impact assessment and a security impact assessment and think about all the ways that these records could be vulnerable. So, yes, we we do think it had an impact on the number of data breaches and, of course, the number of medical identity theft cases. I know my doctor's been trying to get me to put my family's records in their online system for a while now, but I've resisted (laughs) for that reason. And, you know, it's a tough call because particularly when we're talking about biometric identifiers, we've got the issue of actually housing the records in a central database where they become sort of a honeypot for thieves. And then we have the issue of the initial authentication. 
And as long as you are the one who's initially authenticating those records, you are probably better off doing that. However, you've now added another layer of vulnerability because now you have your biometrics within that database. It's not an easy proposition for all parties. All of the stakeholders really are still trying to work a lot of these things out, and we're moving at lightning speed. This digitizing of information and how cost-effective it's become to maintain information that way is clearly pushing us in that direction, but we do need to slow down a little bit and really look at the implications you know, holistically. Sure, and knowing the warning signs of medical identity theft is really important. Keeping a close eye on insurance information, your explanation of benefits, all of those things can help consumers stay one step ahead of identity thieves. But what are some other actions we can take to protect our health information? Well, you've named the two most important ones. And really reading those EOBs is of primary import for consumers. And I know that people look at that statement and it's just filled with, I mean, it reads like a phone book. It's filled with numbers and codes, and you go, what does all this mean? But if at the very least you can look at the date of service and the doctor or hospital or lab that was providing the service and make sure that you recognize it, that's enough. At least start with that so that, you know, you're not overwhelmed as a consumer. And then the other piece that's more subtle is actually listening to your doctor when you go in and and having the conversation about what they have in those records. Obviously, your medical records are yours. You can certainly order those and go through them to make sure there are no errors. Sort of how you look at your credit report periodically and make sure that everything is accurate and look for, you know, fraudulent or erroneous information. You can certainly do the same thing with your medical records. And the other very subtle thing that we tell people to look out for is if you begin receiving solicitations for goods or services regarding a health condition that you don't have. For example, perhaps you start getting an inordinate amount of solicitations in the mail for things like glucose testing strips or diabetes care, and you're not a diabetic. You've never been diagnosed with that. That could be a mistake where you just got into someone's marketing database, or it could be an indication that you somehow have something that has been shared that's erroneous in your medical records, and you should follow up on that. Thanks for that information, Eva. If consumers suspect they might be a victim of medical identity theft, what steps should they take? Well, of course, we're going to say go ahead and give the ITRC a call because all of our advice is free. And we can listen to what you're experiencing and help you to appropriately categorize that. And if it does turn out that you truly are a victim of medical identity theft, you want to call the provider first who's saying that you received the services and then your insurance company. Then there are a number of other steps that you want to take after that because in addition to the medical identity theft issue, your information is in the hands of a thief and you want to make sure they don't use it in other areas. Well, thank you so much, Eva, for all of this great advice and information you've given us today. Any other parting words of wisdom for our listeners? I just really appreciate that you are covering this topic. It's kind of an obscure type of identity theft and so most people... They have an experience, they know that it's wrong, they know that something's amiss, but they don't know how to categorize it. Don't be afraid to ask. Ask an expert. Get the advice that you need. There are plenty of resources out there. Obviously, your podcast is one of the great educational resources, but just get online, do a little research, find some reputable sources, and get your questions answered.
Thank you again for your time, Eva. This was such a great discussion. And listeners, if you're not already, be sure to check out the Identity Theft Resource Center at idtheftcenter.org for more great tips and educational materials on keeping your identity secure. It's hard to believe it, but this episode concludes Season 2 of Firewall Chats. Thank you so much for joining us this season. If you like what you heard or have ideas we should explore next season, let us know by leaving a review on iTunes or share your thoughts on our social channels at Firewall Chats on Twitter and Firewall Chats on Facebook. You can also visit CSID.com for great content, tips, and advice. Have a great day, everyone.